What happened? The Pasik says, no, the Rabbi Shlodim is not in this huge storm whirlwind. After this huge wind, rash, a loud noise. After this noise, Eish. And after the fire, called the Momadaka. There was this quiet voice over there. When Elio heard this, he covered himself, he cloaked himself, he covered his face. Sort of what we do with the talus partially is because of this Pasuk. He went out, now he stood in front of the Shekhinah. And the Rebbein tells him, Elio, Anavi, why are you here? And this is in general a great concept for us all to realize. And the Pashup shot is that the Rabbi Nishleilim is not in the Ruach, not in those big fanfare, not in the age. People are screaming and shouting, not in all these big concepts that everyone is thinking about. Who is the Rabbi Nishleilim? Who is a successful person? Someone that's out there, someone that's loud, someone that's doing great PR. And the answer is it's not that way. Where is the Rabbi Nishleilim? Where's something that lasts generations further? Where do you see the Koyach? It comes from a cold mamadaka, that silent, calm voice. And sometimes it even says, tomorrow we'll start again. But the patience is what pulls us through. I just teach this a little bit differently, that when we think about our grandparents, or those of you that are alive, that are Holocaust survivors, or those of us that have parents or great-grandparents that are still alive, I saw that this Pasuk might be, just for them, a little bit different. When they were at the entire time, that the entire world, there was a wind in the world saying, we're nothing. There was a thought that people thought there won't be a Klal Yisrael left. In fact, with the Holocaust survivors, when they had children, they would all say, or many of them would say, an common Hitler. There was a concept that the entire world believed Chas V'Shalom, will be destroyed. There was a Ruach, there was a wind. And no, my grandfather and those people that were able to remain from stood with Hashem. After the Ruach, there was an Eish. After the Holocaust, they started screaming all over the world. Then, unfortunately, came that Eish, that fire, the gas ovens, the shooting, the mass murders, and all that. And that did not, why didn't they crumble? Because Hashem, they had Hashem. After that Rash, after the age, where is Rabbi Shalom? The cold Mamadaka. My grandfather, every one of those Holocaust survivors, they did not see that 70 years later, we would be Klal Yisrael to almost, or over, we're saying about a, a million from people. Amazing, unbelievable numbers out in there to Yisrael even more. We have unbelievable, who would ever believe that? But you know how they built it? with the cold de Momodaka. And I sort of finished it off by my grandfather's Leviah saying, my grandfather goes up to the Rabbi Nishleim, now the Rabbi Nishleim is saying, what are you doing over here? Someone that you've created, you look at what you've done, someone as great as you, welcome. All I can say is, we all have grandparents. Some of them, some of us was able to have grandfathers like I had, grandmothers that I had that did everything for Chesed, did for Taira, with the love, with the sweetness some of our grandparents, unfortunately, had a lot of pain from what they had to recreate from their loss, and that was there as well. My grandparents both lost families, huge amount of families pre-war. But to be able to rebuild, they did it with a cold mamadaka. If we could just take a moment and appreciate our grandparents, appreciate the strength, what it took to build the resilience, and I'd like it to take it to us. This is in our genetics. Whoever is from today, unless you're a Balchuva, and even if you are a Balchuva, chances are your grandparents had to fight through some crazy atrocities, be it in war or be it in America. If we have the strength that we are today, we have it genetically in us, we have it emotionally inherited, and let's realize strengths that we have. When I was standing at that, at the, at the 
Aaron, of my grandfather, it was standing there saying, what a great man, what a mechaev you are on me to be someone, to be someone more in the quiet, calm way. With time, we will get there. To me, I found it a great schos, and I thank the Rabbi Nishleilam for me to appreciate and to be able to be an older, mature person, to really value my grandfather. And on just one other level that I mentioned there, and I feel publicly I'd like to say that, my cousin Yanki Perlstein said at the Levaya that about three years ago, my grandfather had a downturn for the worse medically, and the doctors gave him up to two and a half months to live. My mother, her brother, her sister, and their sister-in-law, all together, they fought the Malachamavas daily. He was in the house, was not in the hospital. They did not want to send him to a nursing home. They slept over every night, taking turns, no matter what should happen. That level of kibbutz aim was not done because they had to. It wasn't only done because it is a mitzvah, which of course that is there. And as my mother says, and I hear the other siblings were saying that mitzvah they won't have. And it was a big mitzvah. It was huge effort. But I would say it was done through the love that my grandparents have earned. That caring. If unfortunately it was sent to the hospital, it wasn't like, okay, which child is going to go to the hospital and where's going to be? They all ran to the hospital. And I'd like us as parents, us as grandparents, to realize that is a kayach that we can give into our children. We don't have to be loud. My grandfather was not the loud person. My grandfather, the person that was quiet, that did tremendous amount of chesed. I'm not here to go do now a whole hespit on him publicly for those of you listening. I'd like to walk out with a concept that we can be quiet. We can do our actions and we can leave such a strong imprint on our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren that it's a person that will be missed, a person that enhanced the world, and a person that will always be a beacon even after 120. What do we have? Not the Kesev, Eloyazov, but what do we have? We have the Torah and the Maisim Toivim that we've done, that we've created. So my grandfather's I.D. Perlstein, Zev, should be a schos, Zev, Ben Rabbi Yitzchak Aaron, and should be a mail to for us and for all of Klai. So thank you for listening. And now we're going to go take our questions that we've got. So the number to call in is 718-683-5858. 718-683-5858. Malki, you're on the air with Mordechai. Um, hello? Yes. Yeah, um, yeah, thank you ever so much for your phone line. I can't tell you how much I really appreciate it. Thank you. Let me just so ask widespread. you, based on the British accent, where are you calling from? Yeah, we're from London. Oh, wow. What an honor to have you call them from London. Yeah, you won't believe how widespread it's become. All my neighbors, friends, everyone's busy listening. To oh, life. wow. That's nice and to know free. that we got it's some amazing. listeners. In... Thank you. That's an honor. It's a schuss. Um, yeah. You said uh, last week that you're going to talk about um, if people are not ready to go for help, if there's anything to do about that. Oh, um, you just mentioned the hardest question. Great. Can you give me a little bit more information? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, first of all, more than that, I want to know if somebody's not aware, not only if they don't want to go for help, if they're not aware that they have a problem. Um, it's basically um, a relative, of a 17-year-old girl, that she is has tons of potential, and she's very a uh, heart of gold chairs, but she is so, so closed... She's so locked up in herself that she will only talk about, I can count on the subjects that she can talk about, because anything else will touch any, like, far-fetched emotion that she won't cope with. So it's like, she would only talk about clothes, or, like, cute chokhmas that children do, children say, or what, she'll repeat that. And when I talk to her, she'll make sure to keep on talking and not, not letting it be quiet for a minute. She's, like, scared to, like, face herself, or scared to connect. 
she'll, you know, she'll change the subject if I start talking about anything, even anything rockinistic, not that she's is very, there a very, reason? like a... Before, before I'm going to explain my thoughts, what I think about it, is there a reason that you're aware of why she has this issue? Um, sort of, but I don't know if it's... Like, quite a few in the family are very, like, closed. I mean, the mother is, like, more of a... Like, more, she comes... She's, she's a closed type. She doesn't talk about emotions. Okay. They don't so, express emotions. Okay. But so it's, maybe it's more than that. She kind of... She also complains always. She's always got a tummy ache and headaches. Like, when she... You know, she hates, like, very fussy with food. She hates it, and she gets stomach aches and this and that. And she doesn't even want to get help from that. Like, like um, her mother took her to an alternative doctor, like, for the, for the stomach aches. And she wouldn't want to take, because it tastes disgusting, whatever it was. I think that more, like, she kind of... Didn't even want to get rid of this. She wanted to have what to complain about. Something that's bothering her inside, like, and she had what to blame it on, kind of. Okay. Does that make so, of course it makes sense. Now, here is where I'm a bit at a she loss. She has a lot of fears, I think, but that she doesn't, like, Okay, worry. so let's, let's, let's go ahead and take your question and understand what you're saying. Um, your question is that you have a relative or someone that you're very close to that doesn't want to go for help, doesn't want to acknowledge that they have problems, doesn't want we to didn't even try, but I don't think it's possible even to, to, to speak to her because anything, if you just talk, touch any emotion, she's already escaping. That's I don't right. Even so let me it. ask you: Do you do anything like? Do you are you in school? Are you a teacher? Are you t are you are you a house mother? What 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 are you? If I may ask, roughly. T towards her? No, no, in general, in life. I'm um, yeah, a mother. I mean, I do a bit of work work from home. Okay, so let me ask you something. Can you teach yeah. someone how to bake a cake if they say, I don't want to learn how to bake a cake? The reason why I'm connecting is just because, really, I was also very, very closed, and I sort of um, became more open, and I, I know what it means. I never wanted to hear if anyone would tell me such a thing, like, they need to open up. Of course. And I very much feel I understand her, and she needs to be helped. Because so, she can't so let's take a step back. So I just want you to explain okay, the yeah, motion. Let's go impossible. step one, because we'll go to step one, then we'll go to step two, then we'll go to yeah, step okay. three. Step one is, and that is the hardest part that I get in therapy when parents or family members call me up, what do I do? My husband and my wife doesn't want to go for therapy. What do I do? And then they start, try to force them to come to me. Sometimes I'm Matzliach to make the sales pitch for the person to realize how much better their life can be. But many times we're not. And I tell the parents or the family member ahead of time, if the person doesn't come and asking, there is nothing that we can do other than we'll get to what that is. But we need to understand, in order to change, a person has to feel yeah. safe to change. A person has to be taught that they can have certain yesodas, they can have mistakes. If someone's afraid, mm -hmm. if someone was taught, if you make a mistake, you admit a mistake, you're a failure, the Rebbein Shalom hates you, and you will rot and get hit them. Some people have that program, unfortunately. Some people have a program that if you admit, if you make a mistake, which means you might hurt someone, I, that's I the worst Einish, that is the worst Einish a person can get by hurting someone, therefore don't do anything. And the amount yeah. of people that I work on, that there's that fear of Gehenna, that pain, and then many times you hear the details of the Malachim, they're going to take, and they all quote the same two Svarim about those Gachlei Eish, those, those coals of fire, so before we want to open up someone, we first have to know what their fears are. We have to know why I, are they I, closed. They might I be think, afraid uh, to admit that their family's got major issues and they're not strong enough to deal with it. Just hold on. Just Let me just give. We're here for awareness. So let's just try to yeah. give a little bit of the awareness. One of the indirect systems that we try to do for people along those lines is we try to give them a book that they won't feel threatened by. 
So if you read a book and they get information, they can get the first step of information. Many times, that is the same point of the main concept of this phone line, of this radio program that we've got. Why we've got FNW hosting it, why we've got the Lakewood Scoop Yeshiva World, why we have J-Root Radio thrilled and thanking us to host it. Do you know why? Because we're creating awareness. Awareness is what helps change. The amount of people that text me or email me saying thank you by listening to your program, I've started going to therapy. And as I get sometimes flack from people, oh, you're doing it for your PR, for your fame, for your business, it might be 5% of that. But I don't offer my cell number at all. I don't offer my office number. We're never announcing it here. The main goal is to create awareness. So now what we need to understand is, as we've sort of said that Pasuk of the Kol de Mamadaka, the Rabbi Nishlam is someone gives us a lifetime to get there. If you can let go of this girl at 17, we could already imagine who the Rabbi Nishlam is going to marry her off to. She's going to have to have the awareness. She doesn't get it then. She'll probably have a child that will have some issues. Not Chas as a curse or as a problem. It's just how the Rabbi Nishlam works because everyone's got some problem. And if you don't know how to deal with it, the issue is more in your face. Now, the fact that you've changed, the fact that you've been closed and you've opened up is an attest to the wonderful family you do have. It's an attest to some healthy structures and systems that were within you that you can look at your mistakes. You can realize from mistakes we grow. You can realize the more willing we're able to make mistakes, the more successful we'll be. As they have a famous saying, you will always miss 100% of the shots you won't take. So if you want to get that creativity, that awareness with her, sometimes helping her and being with her, I'm now going to throw a monkey wrench in your system, might be the opposite way, which mean might be stop talking to her or tell you, you know, when I speak to you, we only speak about two subjects. I like speaking about five or six. So let's try to talk about other topics when we speak. And you might only speak to her now once a week instead of once a day. But that will start pushing her to learn and to recognize that there are healthier areas out there. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So I'd like you first to understand, here is where Amunan Batachin comes in. Here's where my job as a therapist, where I had to learn that. And that is that I am such a subconscious controller that when a client comes in, I used to feel I really have to help the person, and my nights were taken over. And I realized I'm really not trusting the Rabbi Shalom. I need to do my job, but then I need to learn with my kids. I need to have time for myself. I need to have time with my wife. I need to have time with my parents, with my mother, with family. And that's just something I struggle on. We need to realize we need to let go and let the Rabbi Nishlam run the world, where here his shluchim, his messengers, and he'll use us when he would like, and he'll send someone else, just for the moments that we can't do it. Hmm. Are you willing to let go and let the Rabbi Nishlam do it, but you stay positive that when she interacts with you, you will be on the positive note, you'll talk about other subjects, say, you know, I'm interested about this subject, well, I don't want to talk about it. Okay, so when you want to talk, let's talk about that. Or I could spend five minutes talking about your problems and those issues, but I don't want to talk about it anymore. Creating healthy boundaries. In my office, I do that a little. I have now an associate that works with me, a fantastic person. Actually, his name is Hanoich Kron. And I sort of play good cop, bad cop with him, which is he's able to be the gentle person, but at times I need to be the assertive therapist. Sometimes being assertive is actually what helps, is what's needed. So, How can I give her the safety? Like, oh, that's safe again, that's not your... You see, you want to give in therapy, we don't give anyone anything. We give, if we mention information and the person has to take. The concept that we affect anyone is a mistake. This phone line, this whole speaking publicly is just sharing information. The question is who will take. Right. I'm not giving. Yeah. And the right. points that I'm mentioning, we'll see which point you'll take. You might even think of a whole different concept from this. I haven't given you anything. Just creating awareness and you will take. Therapy is not about giving. Therapy is about creating an awareness and the person will take. Now, if the person isn't ready to take, then 
that's okay. The Rabbeinu Shleim will get them ready to take because that's where right. we're here on this world. Okay. Malcolm, thank you, ever thank so much. you for calling in from England. I'm glad to hear that it's popular, that people are talking about that. I appreciate it. Hatzlach, yeah. Siyata Deshmai, continue being an amazing yid, an amazing friend, and realize that Ahavas Chinam is what's going to bring back the Gula Shalem, Amir Tzashem. We should be Zaycha to be able to, within the week, to hear that Mashiach has come before <laughs> this Tishabov of a fast and will be a Tishabov of a Simcha. Okay. We are going to Pinchas. Pinchas, you're on the air with Mordechai. Hi, Mordechai. Um, I have a question like this. I made a big decision about the selling environment and buying another one. Wait, and say that again, just to be clear. A, a decision about a summer environment, you said? Sorry. I sold an apartment that I had, and I bought a different one. Now, the one that I sold was larger, and the other one I bought was smaller. There were different factors why we did it, the location. However, afterwards, I have tremendous regret about it. And I've literally, like, I could count on one hand this, so the amount of times I slept through a full night. I just was wondering, like, maybe you have some ideas how to calm myself down or how to get over the regret or the kicking myself. Sure. Let's take one step back just to get a drop of information. In general, when you make decisions and they don't work out, how do you handle it? Do you take it personal? Or can you deal with Generally, it? This is just a big decision, and that's why it's taking you over that much. Generally, I'm able to handle it well. I would say that um, recently I've been under, uh, I guess, substantial, aside from the problem, substantially more stress, and I guess I would stay away from making such a big decision. But I think this, because it was so big, it's affecting me a lot. Okay, so let's thank you for that information because that has helped a lot. And based on your question, I'm actually going to, based on that information, I'll I'll even change my response. There is a concept... I I would... Sure. I just want to change that a little bit. Again, I have had a more difficulty, like, making decisions. Like, I'm more afraid of the decisions I make now. Um, Like... I don't know if it's a kickoff from the apartment or if it's because of some pre-existing uh, stress or whatever it might be. Well, let's recognize, but did you have it before the apartment? Did you have stress-making decisions since before the apartment? Or, I'm sorry, before the apartment or since? Um, the stress, stress existed before. The decision-making, I'm not 100% positive. Okay. I think I'd like to share with you two afterwards. concepts or penchus, maybe even three. First concept is, and that's going to be now a different concept because of the way you've defined your question, and I'd like that for people to listen. It's an amazing awareness. And that is, I'm trying to remember offhand now the professional term or the theory, theorist that was coming up with that, but the main theory is that our brain is a muscle. So imagine you can hold 50 pounds of weight, and you're holding 10 pounds of weight. How much more weight can you carry? 40. 40. Now, what happens if you're holding 40 pounds of weight and you want to hold another 40 pounds? What will happen? You probably will lift it. That's right. But what happens if somehow you're pushing yourself and you're lifting? What will happen to your body after schlepping that for about a half hour, an hour? We're going to be Charlie Horse. We're going to fall apart. Yeah. Now, let's take it further. When we physically are falling apart, what happens to our emotional stability? We get nervous, right? People that are tired, 
people that are tense yeah. because their physical body is in pain and you ask them patient questions or five, six, seven times over the same question, what happens? They yell. They start shouting. They get nervous. This theorist, yeah. I wish, I usually am good with coming up with things the next week, so I'll, I'll be able to find it probably tomorrow or the minute we get up with the program. Rastachem will announce it next week. Um, the theorist comes up and says the human brain is a muscle. And on two levels, means level number one is that once we max it out and we push it far further, we're going to get tense, we're going to get nervous, and we will not be able to do the current jobs as well because now the muscles are tired. And if you will do more than that, it will hurt you and you will almost botch up everything, like trying to catch three balls, try to juggle three balls when you only know how to catch two. Generally, we're going to lose all the balls. We're going to drop all of them. The second concept that they bring up is that the mind is a muscle that can also be trained. So the more you train yourself to do something, the stronger it will get, and you will be able to handle more. And we see that many times people that they get into responsible positions, and a couple of years later, they're not the same person that they were earlier. They literally grew. And the answer is that, yes, the mind does grow. So we can understand that. So now let's go to, the, to that recognition. Does that make sense, first of all? Yes. Now let's go. So now, if you're under a huge amount of stress currently, plus that means you're holding 40 pounds and your mind can ha carry 50, plus you just had a major 40 pounder of made a mistake in a big apartment, buying, selling houses, apartments, moving from a big apartment to a small apartment is not a small issue as people go. Big deal. Where we live, the Gemara says, Gimel Dvarim Archivim Date Shalavim. Three things are what relax a person, open up the mind. One of them is a Bayes Noah, Kalim Noam. And so we need to realize, going from a big house to a small house can tighten your brain practically. So, so if you're under stress 40 and your max is 50, and now you've just carried a 50 or a 40, you're now schlepping 80 pounds plus you got to do everything. Chances are you might be dropping all the balls. You might be working slower. Simple decisions are harder on you. You're not able to sleep. Chances are you're feeling tense, nervous, getting upset at people for no reason. And you'll find that's a reason, right. but later you're going to feel regret. And that's classically called anxiety. Anxiety means when we have normal stresses in life long enough and it's affecting us and so we're not making the right decisions and we are not slowing down, we are not calming down, it only gets bigger until unfortunately it develops into a disorder. That's thought number one. So thought number one, you can be very normal, very healthy. You're under a lot of stress. You've made a bigger stress. And now that is part of the issue that's happening. That's part of what's happening. And the solution is, I actually have an entire program. I would like to thank Hanoch because he this time came prepared with all the list of my shiurim. And where is that? It's program on my phone line. The number is 718-298-2011. And it's pro in section number one, it's program number 35. In English, it's program number 35. It's how stress can destroy us. And over there, I give 10 tips how to get out of stress. And for us to recognize that in that program, I actually have a study which shows that when people's brains are under stress for about a year, the brain actually shrinks a little. Mass. And when the brain is relaxed for a year, we've done the healthy steps, we've calmed it down, the brain goes back to its original mass. It's not only an emotional stress, the actual physical brain gets affected. Little, mid, uh, on small levels, but the brain can be healed. And the concept under stress is let's push more. And it's amazing that by working under stress for six months, or let's say two weeks, if you would just take two days off, you would accomplish so much more in the following three days and the two weeks of pushing. Forget about the damage that we might cause other people. 
So over there, I go into yeah. 10 points of relaxing, but for you to realize, do the opposite. Your brain is saying, push, 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 and the solution is just take a day off, and you will see what a difference, what a changed person you will be. Does that make sense? I actually listen to your, it does. I actually listen to your program on the 35 on stress and also on regret, and they're actually, they're very good and helpful. I just, I just find that this is yes, and the program. Program number on what? how to deal with caught in the trap of regret is number six for those right. that want to listen. Six. Yes. Right. Let me give and you a second thought, to... just one more thought, and that is to yeah. realize I have a program on beginnings. We don't want to start now programming all my programs, you know, plugging all my programs. But it's a program number 21 of beginnings. That's what I want to discuss with you. And that is beginnings means we're going to start making decisions. We're going to be making right decisions and wrong decisions. To every game I have a program, to every great game there's a loser. That's number 28. And what we learn is, I have another program, presidential elections, and that concept over there is both the Democrats and the Republicans in the last election spent $1.1 billion, and the other one spent $1.2 billion, and one will for sure lose. What I'd like you to realize is in order to make it to be a success, success is within yourself, you're going to be making decisions. That's the concept of the beginning program. Just continue beginnings. Start beginnings, they're going to be hard. Then continue making choices. Many of them will be wrong and to recognize that you will succeed that way. There's a Gemara that I've just learned recently, and it's by Rabbi Barav Huna, where he publicly made a mistake. And Rav Chista caught him on it. He passed in the halacha. And he got up and he said, and Rav Chista, Rabbi Barav Huna was in Gadol Adar. And he says, when Shlomo Melech says, tachas azoyz, I think it's, tachas, uh, yadecha. Shlomo Melech says, this mistake is in your hand. He explains that, Ein Adam Kaina, Pretty sure that's the Lashen. The only way that you can be kind of tired is if you make a mistake. And Rashi explains, once you make a mistake, you'll never do that again. With this property, if you would sell the apartment, if you have now the same opportunity, will you do the mistake again or will you change? I'll probably change. Exactly. Then welcome to the world of the living. So me and you are brothers that I can share with you lists of mistakes that there are regrets about, and the more I master this process of beginning, the more I master the process of mistakes, the happier and the easier we can be. So all these are Even there. Even though this is like a real major mistake? Oh, uh, well, that's the point. The greater the major mistake, the greater a person you are. I'm going to say this with huge humility, but what I appreciate the much, the so much of the Torah and of when I learn a VM is you see the gravity of the huge mistakes that our others did, and you see how great they were because they did that. The bigger the Rabbi Shalom believes in you, the bigger the mistake will be, the greater you stood up and you've succeeded. So the bigger mistakes you are, I know the more in the leadership position you are. <clears throat> the only ones that make little mistakes, if you put in an extra you know, cup of sugar in the item or whatever it should be, if you took coffee with two sugars or one sugar, those are people that that's their level. If you're dealing with life and death decisions, that means you're in so much more of a leadership position. You speak to any godl, they will tell you, unfortunately, they have made mistakes. That's the godless of Rabbi Barav Huna of that Gemara. Godel Hadar Paskin publicly a mistake. Rav Chizda caught him, and on the spot he got up and he says, in order to be a godl Hadar, in order to learn Torah, you're going to make mistakes. The greater you are, the more leadership position you're going to be, there will be mistakes. I personally have an issue when people talk about the Gedolim, that a Gedolim made a mistake. Why can't he? Why can't we allow our Gedolim to say they made a mistake? First of all, who said they made a mistake? But let's even make the assumption they made a mistake. They will apologize. How many times do we see in the Avos, a Yaakovinu could say, Why can our Avos, why can our Gedolim in Tanakh, 
all the time saying they made mistakes. Why can't we make mistakes? Why can't we allow our gedolim to say, I made a mistake. Why do we have to knock them down? Why are we so, judge so judgmental on ourselves? Imagine you would be able to hear a book written of gedolim would write the mistakes they've made. I want to rephrase it. Not about the gedolim chasashom. Our society can't hear it. The gedolim will share it to you. When you speak to a gadol one-on-one, a gadol will tell you the mistakes they made. I have the schus and the privilege of my field to speak to the gedolim one-on-one privately. They will tell you things that they made and how they continued. They will share with you difficulties that they made and how they continued. Let me just share with you one concept. The Chafetz Chaim says in two places to his Talmidim, and I, I just spoke in the Bungal colony this Shabbos, and I brought it down. And the Chafetz Chaim says when he was 20 years old, he suffered from anxiety. He couldn't learn for an entire year, and none of the doctors in Vilna was able to help him. He was explaining, he says, not I am saying it, the Chafetz Chaim said, I had anxiety of my mind. He said first he couldn't learn. Then it got so bad he couldn't even daven. Then it got to a level that he couldn't sleep. He used the word nim v'loinim. The Chafetz Chaim, the Gedolim say when you speak to them, they're sharing with you the difficulties. It's our generation that we don't want to hear it. Speak to any Gadol you have one-on-one. Ask the Gadol, did you ever make a mistake? Not because you want to make fun of him publicly. I'm talking about one-on-one, someone that you're close to. They will share it with you. Publicly we can't do it because unfortunately the late Sonim that want to remove and hurt the Gedolim and, and affect the, uh, the leadership. But you speak to a Rav one-on-one, I haven't yet met a Rav to say that he's perfect. It's us, our society. We need to stop being comfortable. The greater mistake you are, the more in a leadership position you are. Accept it. And learn to say, I'm sorry. Own up to it. Don't say, I'm perfect. Own up to it. Learn from it for the next time. But that's what we learn from Rabbi Barav Huna. You hear it from David Amalek. We can start going through each of the Gedolim of the others that the Gemara, again, Chas Hashalom, to say they did an Avera. Chas Vashalom. But we do need to learn from that. Masay of a similar bottom. That's the concept. Why the Torah has it. If you can look at Avram and see Avram Avinu, let me clarify, and say, what can I learn from that? What mistakes? What growth did he have to go through? What difficulties did he have to go through? And so will I. I one of the messages, one of the, I try, while we're spending so much time on this, for this awareness is, I am trying to break the number one diagnosis that I feel is in our from world, and that's perfectionist. I could say 9 out of 10 or 9.5 out of 10 of my clients suffer from this fear of anxiety, of this issue of perfectionist, fear of beginnings, fear of making mistakes, needing to be perfect. People will make fun of me. I would say that's the number one issue out there. That's why I'm spending so much time. Let's break it. Get close to any guddle that you choose, any rub that you choose, and ask them, have they made ever mistakes? Since they're a rav, did they ever make a mistake in a psak halacha? Did they ever do something? And they will share it with you. And then they'll share with you how they've corrected it. Or if they weren't able to correct it, how they regretted it. The Gemara brings down, I don't remember now, which one of the gedolim of the Tanoim paskin wrong and they killed a person. Because that's what he felt. The rest of his life he would go every single day and cry at that person's caver on how I paskin wrong. The Gemara is full of sharing with us stories how Tanoim and Amiram, how they made mistakes and what was the tshuva for that. Understand, we are meant here to grow from that. The Revolution has put us here to learn from our mistakes. Tshuva is when we say, everything, same, everything in the same place, and I stood up to that. That means we will be making mistakes. Makes sense, my friend. So much for a share. How you thought you were pulling in for a program? You're getting over here a whole share. But, uh, <laughs> oh, Joshua, yeah. I'm actually wondering if I should go to Mashkiach instead of... Uh, Whoever, there, anyone, a Godel, I consider a Godel the person that you respect, someone that will guide you on the Torah way. 
And to me, a gadol is a father. I would say one of my greatest gadolim was my father. One of the greatest gadolim now is my grandfather. Within the shiva was my grandfather. And it wasn't through what he said. It was many times through what he didn't say. To see how my grandfather would be mavater when, he, when people would do things. I'll share with you an interesting little story that someone just came to the shiva. And that was my, my grandfather had one boy, my uncle. Oh, an amazing, wonderful person. And at his bar mitzvah, which was my uncle's on Shabbos, there was, as we can understand, still some people in the old school pre-war that if I'm wealthy, I have my COVID. And so there were going to be three bar mitzvahs, this Aisha, my grandfather, which was actually at that time extremely financially successful as well. And there was a Yasim at the time going to be have the same Shabbos of bar mitzvah. And this Aisha said, there is no way that a Yasim is going to share and participate in the Kiddush of what we're doing and share in my son's bar mitzvah. So my grandfather, which my uncle's bar mitzvah, was that Shabbos baby, I said, no problem. Just give my son an aliyah and I will make the bar mitzvah Kiddush next week with the Yasim. The Yasim came to my uncle and said, you know, forever I remember having such a beautiful bar mitzvah and not being embarrassed when everyone was talking about it. Will I have an aliyah? Won't I? Will I completely shied away? That was my grandfather, quietly, easy, no problem. For Yasim we take care, but it wasn't like I'm doing favors. Let's realize, well, your father, your grandfather might be your gadol as well. Speak to them. I once spoke to a Balchuva and he told me he learned his amuna and the Rabbi Shalem from his father that was a chiloni, that wasn't from. He said how? He said his father was playing sheshbesh and with someone. He's throwing the dice and he asked his father, is it true that there's a Rabbi Shalem? And he said his father threw the dice and said, betach, said with such a confidence that there's no doubt. He says in his mind at that moment he knew there was a Hashem. Years later, he got to realize, if there is Hashem, so I got to be from. And he said no one was able to give him that feeling of, a sh- of an assurance of the Rabbi Shalom that he got from his father that wasn't from. Let's stop thinking in such black and white terms and realize our parents, our uncles, our grandparents, our mothers, our Argadolim as well. So a mashgiach, please don't feel a gadol, someone that has a title. How about a gadol, someone that's in Kail for years that doesn't have a public post? Is that person not a gadol? Mm-hmm. All right, my friend, we've given you so much airtime, so important. Thank you very, very much for calling in. Hatzlacha and Siata Deshmai on the process and on the growth of life. We are going to go to Terry. Terry, on line three, you're on the air with Mordechai. Yes, hi. Um, okay, so about the anxiety and perfectionism, I've, I've had um, an eating disorder for a while now. Yeah. And I... Have, I've, I've gone to therapy, and I just, it, it got, like, a little worse, so they wanted to admit me into a rehab facility. Okay. Um, but I didn't want to go because I felt that it would be, like, I'm, I'm from, and I didn't want to go to, like, this random place. So um, I went to the, I'm, I'm, I'm currently in the intensive outpatient program. Okay. Which is, I just go for a few hours. Mm-hmm. Um, but they want to move me up, and I feel that it's just, uh, I mean, they want to send me off to Philadelphia, and yes. I would have to sleep there. Yeah. And, and like, I do want to get better, so I'm not sure what's, like, the better choice if I should okay. go. I don't, I don't know what to do. So I'd, I'd first like to give my public waiver, and that is, it sounds like you're asking me a halacha, Shaila, of are you allowed to go to a place where there might be an issue with kosher food and sleeping away. Is that your question? Um, they have kosher food. They get, like, prepackaged Okay, food. so what is your question, then? My question is that um, if I would, like, how would I be able to make it work 
in like a like a like the program over here, so I right, wouldn't well, have to. Right, we try to make it work in a program like here. What's your problem with Philadelphia? What's your problem going to an inpatient uh, a treatment facility? Um, well, there's a lot of things. Like for one, I don't like want people to find out. Um, for two, I just I don't feel like I I feel like I want to try to make it work over here. Like I don't want to just like jump up to that step yet. It just, I don't, I don't know. If, okay, so know, let's, I'm going to be extremely gentle on you because you're calling in and you seem like such a wonderful person. So I'm going to be a little bit gentle. Or not a little gentle, very gentle. One of the concepts that happens with an eating disorder is, and again, I don't want you to answer this publicly because it might be family members that will be listening, but is an indirect control. Means people that have an eating disorder try to be very nice and I'm so sweet. But inside, if things don't go my way, I eat myself up. And that is right. really a subconscious control. We need to control the Rabbi Nishlein. We need to control our family. We need to control our environment, and we can't learn to let go and be loose. And that is also the program, since I always mention that, the second number one diagnosis out there is codependence. And codependence is when we say my happiness is dependent on someone else. How can I be happy if my kid isn't happy? We are unfortunately codependents, and I consider myself unfortunately in that category as well. We are subconscious controllers. If my kid is happy, I can't be happy, and I need to make them happy. I worry about it all day, even though we have no control over them. And that is control, and my sessions on me, and the work that people need to learn is to let go. Notice, everyone is recommending you to go to an in-house facility. You don't want to. You're trying to force this system to work that people that are in the systems that are saying it's not good for you. So someone's got a strep throat. The doctor says it might develop into a pneumonia or into something much worse. Now you need to be admitted to the hospital. The person says, no, I only want to go to a doctor. But then you go for a second opinion, which is normal. And the second opinion says, okay, we'll try it. But you still need to go now into the hospital. Do you notice the indirect, the subconscious control that you have for whatever fears you have? Now that's, again, where subconscious work has to be done. How to let go, how to be able to make mistakes, how the people should find out. That's reality. I'm not saying that they should, but if they do, it's okay. All these are subconscious fears that also need to be worked on. But do you notice how indirectly your question is a control? It's right. not how do I let go to be able to go to Philadelphia that is letting go. Surrendering is saying, this is what the professionals, the doctors feel, so I can now surrender and let go. What your question is, how do I control the whole system to go my way? Nicely. Um, I, I, it's like, I, I, I want to like, do this really badly. It's just say, I feel like if I go to Philadelphia, it really won't make a difference than if I'm staying here. And I'm, of course, I'm, I understand all your rationale. Do you understand how you're judging it based on your perception? I have a, I have. A, a suggestion to you. Maybe you can help me out. I have a major problem. My grandfather was unfortunately just nifter this Thursday. Can you please bring him back? It's just a little thing I'm asking of you. Just one person. Millions of people are being nifter a day. Just one person. Please bring him back. I really love him. I really miss him. And I mean that honestly. I really miss him. Can you please bring him back? I really want to make it work and I really want my grandfather back. That's all I'm asking of you. Part of the issues of eating disorders is that you're not dealing with the present time now with reality. It's what I wanted to go, and that's the subconscious control. You want to make something work when the professionals are telling you it's not going to work. 
My grandfather was nifter. I need to come to terms. People that are, it's younger to in a greater shock or whatever it is that goes through are many times in denial. But that's denial. In the subconscious terms, in the Freudian terms, which is the original therapy, denial is not someone that denies that I see there's a cup of a drink in front of me. And I'm saying, no, it's not a drink, but I really know. Denial is that we don't even see it. That's denial. Part of your work in for eating disorders is to recognize that your view is really only a partial view and there are other views. And the stronger you are stuck in an eating disorder, the stronger all you see is your view. And am I, am I being gentle to you, by the way? I don't want to be tough. I don't want to sound like I'm attacking you. So Yeah, very. Yeah, this is, yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so, so let's change your no. question. Could you now ask me the question, what do I need to do to learn to just listen to people and accept and to let life starting to flow? Understand emotions are meant to be like the water. Waters can go around rocks, can go up, down. They flow. There is no, you want water to flow in exactly one direction in a straight line. But if the plane isn't straight, if it's bumpy, the water's going to go all over. That's emotions. It's meant to flow. How can you start letting life flow by you? That's what the doctors say, sure. And the greatest level that we see from the Avesar, when the Rabbi Shalom comes to them, what's the word that they all respond? He nani. I am ready. I am ready to listen. If the Rabbi Shalom, I mean, I, not to attack, but the Rabbi Shalom would come to you and say, Hello, whatever your name is, whatever your real name is, you know, please go to the center. You'd go, sure, I want you to help me make it work since you could do everything. Make it work in an outpatient facility. That would be your Hineni. And we want to learn to let go, flow. That actual learning to let go is part of the therapy for you. The first step to say, I am learning to listen. That's not surrendering, saying that I am free. It's learning your subconscious to let go. Do you know how many people, unfortunately, I have to work on after someone is nifter that they're still holding on? I should have done this. I could have done that. Years later, they're still blaming themselves. And it's all about that they're not trusting the process. Wait. So are you willing to ask me now the question a little bit differently? <laughs> I, um, I, don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure. I'll um, help you out. I'll give you the questions, but you still got to ask it. Mordechai, can you please help me how I can learn to let go that I can just follow the doctor's requests even though I don't understand it? It's, it's also it's like my, my, my family is not in this with me. Um, my, 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 my parents want to keep it quiet. My siblings don't even know. Um, okay. It's like, it's just not. Like, Do you know there's just, a saying, there's one of the organizations, I don't know which one, but they advertise all over in all the newspapers, and it goes, um, yeah, oh, it hurts to call, but it hurts even more not to call. Right. I would like, if your parents, if they can listen to this for them to recognize, a good eating disorder specialist can cost hundreds of dollars. One a week in an in-house facility can be several thousand dollars. Right. Several months can be tens of thousands of dollars, even a hundred thousand dollars. And not doing those hundreds of thousands of dollars, unfortunately, can be death. Now, unfortunately, I know of several people that were nifted this year of eating disorders. How much would your parents, not your parents, how much would a parent pay to have their child brought back? If you offer a parent, I tell you for $100,000, your child will live and will have a successful future diaries with children and grandchildren. 
or if you tell them $200,000, a million dollars. Eating disorders is from the hardest things to treat, but it's possible to treat. But the longer it is, the harder it is. Right. It is a serious diagnosis that does lead to many people to death. I don't mean to scare you, but I mean to wake you up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and if the facilities, the therapists, the outpatient facilities are saying, you need more, I don't want to scare you or share publicly, but how little do you weigh? I wonder if you weigh as much as my 11-year-old son. <laughs> it is a serious diagnosis. We're worried about your siblings. I'm worried about your children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. I promise you no one will ever know what diagnosis you had. Merit Hashem, if you have to have great-grandchildren. Right, but the thing is, like, I think people think that if I would say, my parents think if I would say anything, then I won't be able, like... Okay, the now here's like, where your therapist, here's where I'd recommend you a therapist. Part of it is having a meeting with your parents. That's part of what eating disorder therapists do, where you need to right. bring family there members in. family sessions and stuff. Okay, and then, unfortunately, it is your choice to make. One other point I'd like you to realize is, I feel as well, you need to have a goddle involved. And a goddle means from the greatest of Gedalim. So whichever kahili you belong to, Speak to your Rav or someone you feel very you can... difficult because I don't really belong to a Okay, then start calling if you're in the Litvisha world and call up Rav Shmuel Kamenetsky. I'm saying in the Litvisha world, he's from the Gedalim that I would say that. Call him up. He will tell you what's Das Taira. Do you need to listen to your parents if it's a life and death decision? Right. Do, you, do they need to have a schmooze with him? Does he need to tell them? I'm just shooting one of the Gedalim that I can think of who's a Gadol Adar in the Litvisha world. If you're here in Brooklyn or Bisrael, Belsky to me is considered from the Gedoy Adar. I'm just thinking of some of the Gedoy and the, you know, just, just speak to them. These are, these are Psak Halachas. These are Paiskim that will tell you what's the Halacha and what can be done, what's not. I just learned the right. Rebbe That's why I thought of Rabbi Yisrael Belsky, which I hold from the Gedoy Unbelievable. Rabbi Yisrael Reisman, go ahead and contact him. There are so many of them. There's Rabbi David Cohen in Flatbush, a Paiskim. Speak to the Paiskim. Rabbi Brudney, there are so many good out that deal with that. Reb, well, how, how can I forget um, Rabbi David Feinstein? These are people that Paskin life and death shyless on a daily level, on a daily basis. These are people that need to be consulted, and they will speak to your parents. These good will all meet your parents. They will do that. Right. But go ahead. This is a life. This is serious. And your work, notice again how you're shifting it to your parents. So let's just see if it's really your parents' issue or your issue as well. Can you please ask me the question? What is your question? Hello, Terry, you're on the air with Mordecai. What's your question? How can I help myself? Uh, good, but I like it a little bit more detailed. Uh, let me rephrase the question again. How can I learn to let go and to listen to the doctors and to the therapists that are saying I should go to an in-house facility when it's hard for me to do that. Right. Right, now say it. <laughs> How can I get myself to listen to the doctors and go to an in-house facility, even Ex though I don't want to? Excellent. And to that, my solution would start being is, how would you like to just go, just so many ideas, but one of them is, go to the water and just watch the waves just flow gently over and over again, is the wave any less? Did the wave lose its power because it retracts? No, the wave goes back and forth. And it will always be there. And the water, in the long run, will crack, will make a hole in the stone. 
consistently just going with the flow will help you and heal. Controlling will keep us stuck in one place and not grow and not move. Stones, a daimim, is something that stays stuck. Water is something that's a tzemeach. It can help the plants grow. It can be growth around water. All right? And the lesson is learn from the water. And I'd also recommend, if it's possible, to find a therapist that also does a little subconscious inner work. Thank you, right. Terry, for your question. Thank you and so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Know that it's Thank a battle, you. but know you can win the battle, and the battle is not by going out and fighting. It's by actually learning to surrender. Okay. Let me ask yeah. you that question. You. If a soldier surrenders and then gets released a year later, was he a fool? Or is he a fool if after there's a white flag, he's able to surrender, he fights and gets killed? Who is the real strong person? The person that um, surrendered and built and got out of it and then, yes, then married the and then had children? Definitely. That's right. That and your lesson, okay. a lesson in eating disorders is about surrendering. The lesson right. of the water. Right. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. You are very it. welcome. And Thank you. Shalema. And go ahead, speak to the Gedolim, reach out. They're all listed. Notice the, Rabbin, the Rabbanim are listed. I'm not listed. But the G'daylam are. That's what's right. amazing. They're putting themselves out there. Claudia we got to wake up and reach out for them. Reach out do you, to them. Do you do appointments, like such appointments? I do, but happens to be eating disorder is really, really not my specialty. Um, almost to a level where I'm afraid of it. So if there are people that are trained in it, and if I would work with someone, but I would use the word under someone. Eating disorders is a specialty. I've worked on several cases. And it was, I just need someone to lead it. I can try the subconscious work. And I'm only doing that because I don't know too many licensed therapists that do subconscious work. I believe most therapists can do, you know, the great, amazing conscious work. But part of my goal of this is eventually to be able to create the awareness to teach the subconscious work to therapists as well. So if you would look at me as someone after you went to the in-house treatment, after Mm -hmm. you're doing better, and if you're going to another therapist, if you'd like, Bleeneder, call up. And, you know, I'll take you in as an adjunct therapist, not as the main therapist. I feel you need someone with experience that understands it and knows what to look out for. As good as I am, I still know my limitations. This is one of them. (laughs) Thank you so much for your time. You're very welcome. And you're a foolish Alema. Thank you for being brave enough to call it in. Thank you. Um, By the way, there is one program. Since I got over here, all my programs, again, to thank Hanel for finding it, I have an entire program on eating disorders. I wonder where that is. I'm looking for it. You know what? As I find out over here in the paper of all this year, I'm will, will, I'll mention it. Thank you for calling in, Terry. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Yeah. I'm just going to read. Before we are going to go to um, on line five, whoever that is, um, hello? Yes, we, that's me. Yes, that's you. Um, okay. So just hold on a second. I'm just going to read one or two questions over here from the Lakewood Scoop that people have sent in. What do you do with a child who has severe temper and is over the age of eight? He says irrational things to everyone, including his parents and siblings, and is an angel in school. When he's in the state, everything can happen. And here, my advice is, it's telling you it's a parenting issue. If kids cannot be controlled all over, I would start thinking if there are any diagnosis. But if in school, following people, listening to teachers, listening to the rebbeim, if there's a certain type of structure, my suggestion is take a parenting, because even over the age of eight, you might be missing the tools. Another point is go ahead and speak to the teachers and rebbeim. Find out what's their secret as to what they are doing, and maybe you can use that extra little tool. Um, yeah, Aaron, let's take the person speaking Hebrew. We'll, we'll put a little flavor into the into the caller. 
We'll do that. We'll see how much I can have. Maybe we'll try even some of my broken Hebrew. Maybe. Um, second question. How does one deal with people that are too nice? I have a friend that makes me feel smothered. This is just nice. Is it just nice to be an extreme? It gets me nervous. It makes me second guess myself. How do I handle that? Thanks for your show. Two things. Being extra nice might be helping them. Might be something that they would like. Might be something that they need. It could also be codependence where I'm only feeling valued if I help you. Since I'm worthless and I help you, so that's why they're extra nice. And no one likes being the mitzvah case. No one likes being the Rachmanis. You need to feel good so you're treating me that way. Yes, there are some people that like a little bit of that. But to feel that all the time, they don't like that. So that's my recommendation to recognize it might be codependence. And the third question that we've got from the Lakewood Scoop is, as an American mother of a son that's in the Israeli army, who I am very proud of, I tend to get very insulted and offensive very quickly when I hear anti-Israel comments. How can I keep calm? Also, how do I live day to day with the constant worry shining through? I believe he is safe and Hashem is watching over him, but now the feeling is so close to home. I feel for all those mothers who have sons in the army and that worry and stress seems to be eating me up. Thank you so much. May we hear only good news. Wow, this puts me in a very controversial area because our line and people that listen to are from all Kehillahs. And many of them are also from the Kehillah, which is, as you said, those anti-Israel philosophy. So first I'd like to clarify something to you. And being that I have many family members that are Satmer and belong to those Kehillahs, I'd like you to recognize, and I've spoken with one of the top Satmer Dayanim, and when it started it, he clarified something that's extremely important to know. All those anti-Israel issues or that they have and the rhetoric that they're saying is never against from soldiers when lives are in danger or anyone there. They are against the theory of Zionism. They are not against the people that are living there. They're against the theory. And they are also mispowled for your son. Understand that. They are mispowled for everyone living there. That is what we need to clarify. Satmar has never gone, and I'm not here to defend them, I'm just here to clarify, has never gone with Ahmadinejad and with all these Iranian things. It's a separate area, even called Natura Karta, which the Satmar Rebbe himself, Rabbi Ayol Zatzal, is the one that even spoke against them, saying it's too extreme going with those that would kill a Yid and join with them is Asr. So first let's clarify, when you're hearing that rhetoric, you're not aware of what they are, it might be that you're missing the information. They are not attacking your son. They are mispalo for your son. They are davening each and every person in Klal Yisrael is a tragedy, and they are davening for everyone there. They are against the theory of Zionism, and any from person knows what's going on up until this, how they're trying to take away a lot of the stuff that's happening. It's not about getting people into the army. It was about fighting from theory, philosophy. And that's where the issue is. So let's first understand that. Now, how do you keep calm? You need to understand first, it's real fear. You're supposed to be nervous because this is real. Your son is in a line of fire that is dangerous. And here is where tefillah comes along, being with, connecting with other mothers or other siblings that are going through with that. Connecting, having a group together gives you strength. Every time, unfortunately, you hear a soldier is shot or killed or is injured, your heart will skip a beat. That's real. That is real. That's, and not only you, I have a secret to tell you, all of Claudius Roll feels that. Every time we hear the news and the soldier was killed, everyone feels the pain, but you more so because your child is there. Understand it's real. Doing mitzvahs, trying to take a kabbalah upon yourself. 
That is where the strength comes from within ourselves. And most importantly, we are maminim b'nei maminim, that the Rabbani Shalom knows exactly um, I'm not sure. Okay, well, I'm sorry. I'm just getting over here a message from the office that we need to say also to teachers and now to pay attention to the issue of, oh, of the weight. Yes, thank you. We're going to deal with that. Thank you. You know something? I haven't addressed that um, more correct. Um, I would also like to, um, so just to go this level, so to the question, all Atfilas are with you. I say to Hillam, there's a even wonderful program that someone has where you, they give you a soldier's name to be particularly misspelled for. And that is important. Yes, we need to realize that. And I am misspelled for a soldier every day. We can do that. So again, it's hard. It's real. All of Claudius Yisrael is with you. No one can understand what you're going through unless they have a kid there. And it's real. Whatever you can do, connect. Thank you. Um, now on line, Feige on line five, you're on the air. Yes, okay, so we have a question. I live here in a condominium type of building, and we have, like, one neighbor that's um, disturbing us. So we want, I want to know just, like, how we can cope with her, because she, I have, like, two questions. First, we watch her abusing her children, like, in front of our eyes, and she wouldn't let us in to help her, so we can't do anything about it. And then, when we just want to sit out and relax, She's there again, and, you know, she's making us nervous with her questions. Um, she talks and talks and talks and doesn't stop, so we can't really get off her. She doesn't let us get off the hook. She's there. Okay, let me share with you now some of what you're saying, and I'd like to go to the message that I got on the last message. Ah, this is hard on my heart to share, and because I deal with this a lot in my private practice. And let me share this. Number one, with those with eating disorders. We, the community, like you're calling up with this question, when we see a person look too skinny, boy or girl, because I will tell you I've had several men that have eating disorders because the style is now to be skinny, we need to stop saying you look good. We need teachers, we need principals to stop saying you look so good that you're skinny. We're worried about sneers, and we should be. We need to be worried about the message that society gives us that Someone is looking good. You're skinny. No, you're not. You're um, nauseated. You're emancipated. You're so light, so skinny. It's not pretty. To the guy, not you're so skinny. It's like, what's wrong? Unfortunately, I actually made a little of that mistake. Someone came to me, just visited me in the bungalow. And I didn't recognize the person. I go, are you okay? And then I go, oh, whatever. And the person says, why? You think I'm too skinny? I go, yeah. I don't look good. I go, I don't want to hurt your feelings, but I don't think so. Oh. Imagine if people would be telling that, be a little, now not, you look ugly, what's wrong with you? It's just, are you okay? Are you feeling okay? It looks a little too skinny. That would change that. And I'd like to take your question as well. And why is it so dear? Do you know the amount of time that I have clients coming into my office telling me that they were raised by parents that had a mental disorder, abusive? And they believe no one saw anything. They go around with this belief that everyone said their mother or their father is normal. No, let's wake up. The same abuse that you felt, the whole world knows they're crazy. And then they tell you, then these kids have something, oh, you have such a special mother. So it confuses the person even more. Now, I'm not saying we've got to tell them you have a crazy mother, you have a crazy father. But what I'm saying is we need to start creating a little healthiness for these children. Are you comfortable enough to invite these kids for supper and give them at least one nutritious supper? 
I've worked with a kid that was all up the derech and says, do you know that I go to Shabbos to a certain house and this person benches each of his kids. Some people in Klai Yisrael, we have a minute that we bench our children before Shalom Aleichem. And he says, this guy would bench me along with the kids with the same order. And this guy was 17, 18 years old. When this person had to create a positive image of a household, it was when he was invited in. Can we realize that you're worried about yourself, but right now I'm feeling for these kids when you say she's abusive? Many times people are worried about calling ACS child services, and I'm not going that we should do that. I'm not going to discuss it publicly, but I need us to realize that many times it's a tithe for these kids. ACS child services doesn't take away kids. They don't. That's not their first unless there's an immediate danger, at least not today. It's a fear that we all have that's not accurate. They come down, they first warn the mother. I want to see the kids had suppers every day. I want to see the grocery order bills. I want to make sure that the kids have clothing. I want to see the refrigerator is stacked. They're not there to take away kids. The system is broke. They're not looking to take away kids. They're looking to see who's a family member where we can then help out. Many times we're so worried about the government instead of recognizing that maybe that's what they need. But if we're not going to do that, if you live in a kahila, just like there's a vad mishmeris at is to make sure that Tzniyah stays within the kahila, let's recognize, contact the Rav. Contact the Rebetzin. Say, these kids are being neglected. Let's get a support team going, which means let's get brothers, uncles, sisters. Let's get them involved. I don't even want to address the part, how do you do when she is nuts and driving you crazy? I feel that's so number 10 down the line to number one that I hear. What do you think will happen to these children being raised by a mother that's so abusive and doesn't let anyone in and that's controlling? Any chance of these kids to be normal? The Rabbi Shalom gave them the most amazing neshama. What are the chances that they will be healthy? I'd like to only address problem number one. So now my question to you is, what is within your power? Unfortunately, there's a halacha in the Torah of an egla arufa. That means if people, if a guest leaves the city and he's killed along the way, we don't know where, the city, the Rabbanim, the Gedolim of that city have to go over, they have to make a carbon, they have to say, our hands are guilty that we didn't spill his blood, but we're guilty because we didn't walk him out, we didn't treat him better. Yedainu, we have to go, that's a part of these programs. Uh, what can we do? I feel equally responsible with you now. What can we do for these children that we should not say 20 years from now that they couldn't get married, they're not healthy, they're abusive, they're ruining further generations. What can we do? Now let me ask you, what can you and I do on the phone That's right now? That's what we don't know, because when we try to... Family we members, try to do, family, family just dropped out because it's impossible. that We spoke to them. What she she, do, she this, doesn't let them, and she's so strong with her craziness. Good, so now to what I would recommend is, how many friends do you have? Can you guys afford money? Can you people put together some tzedakah? Um... Look, money is not really the greatest issue. It isn't. It no, is a I'd very like great issue. Why. Money is because they have services from the state, but somehow with all those services, she's like so strong with certain. That let's clarify. She's not so she strong. Has. She has a mental disorder, and therefore yes, she's mentally some not kind stable. Of, you know, not one that would probably be called. Um, uh, let's say she's called a mental retarded. No, but she has some kind mentally of mentally retarded is physical. Right. Mental issues are emotional. A parent that does not give the kids food. Parents that send food? kids food. Yeah, I'm, I'm worried about your... About she will get food, but, you know, very unpleasant food, I would say. Like unpleasant not food. And since, you, since this isn't your field, unfortunately, I work with and I work with such children, I would tell you there are times that they that do not give the mother food. gives it. That's what we, you there know, are times I am sharing with you classical information. There are times they will not give food to their children to punish them. 
This is classical for what you've described. I hear this all the time, kids being raised that way. They would give them cold food or old food. They will not give them new clothing. They will make them take showers or baths in waters that's not healthy, that's dangerous. Family has no right to say, I will not help. What we need to do is we need to get stronger. Here's where you need a team leader. Here's where you need to find an Askin. That's why I'm saying in different kahilos. In Monroe, there are people. Find out who's an Askin in your kahilo. In Flatbush, you've got Askanim. In Bar Park, you've got Askanim. In Lakewood, you've got Askanim. The Askanim need to be contacted and the family needs to be made responsible as well as you. I'm shifting it onto you. Why? Because you've stood up. You've made the first call. Don't drop it. Yeah, but Askanim have tried. That's what my question is. What, what I don't believe that. I know Askanim that are powerful in old Kehillahs, and they know how to or make maybe sure. maybe I should send them to the you. The Askanim, many times what happens, we place the call, hello, there is a problem, take care of it, goodbye. No. When Askanim try, see there's a family just... saying, we have a sister that's not healthy, we're there to back you, we have friends, if money is needed, we will help raise the money, then the Askanim will be involved. Askanim are not a dumping ground. They have their own life. They're here to help. Askanim have a lot of experience. Hatsala. You can even call Hatsala. Unfortunately, I heard someone was once missing. Or they saw a teenager walking around very late at night. They called up Hatsala. Do you know, did you get any reports of a missing teen? Hatsala says, no, but we have two units that have experience with this. Hatsalas do, our people that are tzaddikim, that they're volunteering their time. They can even help who to guide to. But we cannot dump it on them. Hatzala members are not people that we're going to dump. Now go take care of the world's problems. Hatzala members can help guide us to the right people. The Askanim won't take it over. They're there if we help them. How about you find out which Askan is involved? You tell the Askan, I've got an entire bungalow colony. I have an entire complex here. I will get the family involved. Let's save these children. Boy, will you see the Askanim get involved. Do you hear the difference? I don't even want to deal now with how you should I know should that deal. there was an Askin involved, let's say, the whole winter. And Call back the, the Askin and say, what happened? And the Askin will probably tell you. They it's impossible back. to deal with these people, and they just ran off. I would, so it, who has to deal with this? Did you actually the speak to the Askin? Did you actually speak to the Askin? That's what you heard. I heard it from her daughter. That's not acceptable to me. Speak to the Askin themselves, speak to the daughter, and say, we will make a team. The strongest way that you deal with, a, with someone that has a mental illness that doesn't want to deal with it, the ultimate level is called an intervention. That's when everyone gets together, you face the person, and then we see what is within our power. The mm -hmm. amount of divorces that come of children from such parents because they don't know how to have normal relationships. I need you to realize this is serious. A lady like that cannot get away. We do not have the right to tell her you're equipped to be with your children. If you have such a level mental disorder, you're not equipped to be a mother. A mother and father roles need to be earned. If someone is physically violent, the law, American law, and Torah law, Allah as well as, they are not allowed to be the parent, you need to remove them. Reb Nassim Adler took away the, the Sam Seifer from his parents at a very young age because he said the parents are going to ruin a star in Klal Yisrael. Reb Nassim Adler, which is Chassan Soifer's Rebbe, took him away at a young age to the other country. The Chassan Soifer never saw his parents since a young age. I heard one story where someone said since he was seven years old, one said later, I'm not going into it. We need a Rav to be involved. We cannot say we have no right, family members, to leave kids by such parents. Legally, if this, if this would have been my client, I would have had to report it, and rightfully so, with the Dasa Rabbanim. I need you to understand that. 
because we're not afraid of this lady, we're going to let children be hurt and destroyed? She doesn't realize that her children oh, we, are hurt. That's again, the problem. Not, we I realize that she doesn't that's realize why we that. need an You would like me now to share with you about five hours of therapy that's needed to educate the family. I cannot do that. No. This is meant for awareness. My awareness is I'm not here to give you advice about it's uncomfortable when she pesters you. I'm here to shift the focus on what has to be focused. This lady is not allowed to have her children by her unless she is going for therapy, unless she gets better or she's on medication or whatever else is needed. The Askanim need the backing of the family. That's what needs mm -hmm. to happen. Get a team together. Get the daughter. Get the family members. Tell the Askanim we're here with money as well. Money is important to take care of this. Not deal with it. A team. You have seven people together dealing with it. I promise you, I don't want to promise. With Siata Deshmaya, I've seen everything work out. But when an Askin's involved six months and everyone gives days and everyone backs out, when the Askin needs help, oh, we can't take the kids to my house and we can't do this and we can't do that, then the Askanim drop it. And I see that all the time when Askanim are left alone. Mm -hmm. Fagi, thank you for the question. The Rabbanu should send you Siata Deshmaya. And a lot of Koyach, I know I've given you a very, very heavy job. Let's hope with Siyat you'll have the strength to stand up to the plate. It all starts with me. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. We are going to Shani. Um, actually, you know what, Shani, just hold a minute, please. Let us go. Let's go to line two, to the question in Hebrew, and after that we're going to go to Chaya from London. Yechiel, you're on the line with Mordechai with your question in Hebrew, and let's see how we'll deal with it. What's it better for you? Yiddish or Hebrew? Welche wilt ihr? I'll do both. What's for dich bequemer? Beide. Ich kann ein bisschen Englisch, aber ich bin in London. Mein Rap kann gut Englisch. Okay. So, for those listening, okay, wilt ihr als ihr Rap so reden damals? Nein, nein, ich bin nicht mehr Rap jetzt. Das kann auch kein Bilder jetzt. Ich bin nicht mehr Rap jetzt. Okay, so... Hello? Good, so you ask the question. I will translate... I will translate the question in English. Yes, so Hebrew, whatever you'd like. Just pick a language and let's go. What's your question? Yeah, my question is... I go to therapy, yeah? I learned the thing of... I was talking about the kids, yeah? Yeah. So let's just translate a second. So this person's asking, calling in from England, and his question is that he's a person that takes things very sensitive. If someone tells him something, he can get hurt right away. He can get very angry. He can respond tough to the person. In Gaivata. Yeah. I got this therapy. I'm a great therapist. I'm a Talmud from Rabbi Tversky. I'm in England. Yeah. It's a bit more kicking positive. I'm going to say kicking positive. It's not my own kicking the positive. And his question is, he's going to a therapist in England, which is a Talmud from, Dr. from Rabbi Tversky, and because I'm pretty sure Dr. Abraham Tversky does not have Talmudim, 
So, and he's a system that only looks at the positive. In Vusus Dan Shale. So, in the Chagid, he said that the programs in Vice Dan and the Tour. Yeah. <laughs> In the south side, I'm going to do a tour where I'm going to interview. Yes. I'm going to explain it in English for those listening. So the question is as follows. The question is that um, how can I explain that if people have opposite natures, basically listens on my question on number on the shear of number 48, 49, or in Yiddish it's 49 and 50, knowing your natures, what can he do and how can he deal with it when he has opposite natures and as well, how do we tie it into the therapy that you're doing? Let me first explain my thoughts. I know that there's a therapy, therapy system that only looks at positive. I personally don't just believe in that. That's just my opinion. It means I am a huge believer in positive therapy. Every client of mine knows they must go through the first couple of sessions that's so painful coming up with positive, and that's needed, and that's a must, and that's amazing. However, only to do positive, not to go into the past, heal the past, not to deal with other stuff as well, some of the pains, not to have the person recognize how the pattern started, how they act in the pattern, is something that I'm a big believer in as well. And I do not, my personal opinion, just doing positive therapy, uh, I don't believe in that. On the other hand, I've never taken the complete training in that or the training in that. So I cannot speak about a training that I don't know. This is just my thoughts and opinion. Is that therapist licensed? Would you go to a heart surgeon to a 50, 60 year old Yid? Okay, again, college, we need to know if the guy has experience, if he's licensed, because to me, it sounds like... Yo, 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 license, yo, yo, experience. All right, so I, I personally hear a lot more in your question that's being said. I hear that you have anxiety. I also hear you came from an extremely painful past. I heard that one of, or both of your parents are very tough. I've heard that you are not allowed to make mistakes. I heard that you're, you are a perfectionist or you are very, very smart in the class, probably from the top boys, and you're burnt out. I hear that I you weren't ready for you, marriage. You, you, Hold on. I'm a perfectionist? Yup. 
ביי-ביי-ביי-ביי-ביי-ביי-ביי-ביי-ביי-ביי-ביי-ביי-ביי-ביי-ביי-ביי-ביי-ביי-ביי-ביי-ביי-ביי-ביי-ביי-ביי-
Not necessarily. Not, uh, I would say not necessarily. I would say a bit stronger. They cannot. Now, mm-hmm. these two might fool themselves in saying, wow, you probably pull back the rudder. You probably pull it back and it's going to go up. And then there's probably on the side something that you pull that makes the plane go faster and slower. It might be accurate. It might not be. It might depend on different planes. We don't know. Now, these two might talk about it all day. That's wonderful. But will they know? No. And that is many times that I find that the blind leads the blind. And so many people give advice without having any knowledge or any experience. Now, people can ask me, what about a support group? Let's go to the 12th step where there are support groups out there. Do you know that in support groups, part of what needs to happen in that support group is an X amount of recovered people there? means people that are sober, that are clean in that issue need to be there. Because if you can have a support group of 10 people heavy in their addiction, heavy in their problems, it's going to become a support group of being stuck there. Mm-hmm. So if you have two people supporting each other while they're in the problem, that's not called a support group. Part of the dynamics of a support group is having healthy people in that area that have worked through that area. And that's something that people don't know. People assume support group is five people together, let's go share our problems. No, maybe you guys will be supporting each other to the negative in the wrong way. So practically, what do you do about such a relationship? Well, I'm not sure what Doesn't your question really is. to break off the relationship. Oh, why is there a need to break it off? Why, why do I, I didn't even hear that in the question. You just asked me, what do I say about two people that have a, a dependent relationship? Well, in that area, they're because dependent. Because if you're saying, if you're, if you're responding that's unhealthy, then obviously either Oh, now we're turning this into way. a perfectionist question now. Look, a couple has to be, two people have to be perfect in every area. Oh, boy, do I have issues. Oh, boy, do I have a list of issues there. So I can't have any more friends because every friend that I have will also have a list of issues? What we're saying is two people that have dependence in the area where they're weak, in that area they won't be able to help each other. But these two people might be able to share the greatest baking recipes. They might be able to share fantastic parenting skills and tools if that's where they're healthy. But that is not the basis of the relationship. So I would like you now, because since I don't hear a question yet, can you, t- can you share with me a question? I heard a statement. I heard two people that have a dependent relationship. What will their relationship look like? So explain that. Now you're asking me break up a relationship. I don't understand where that part comes in. Can you put more words to your question? My question is, if you're having two people that are in a relationship where either party is dependent on each other. I need details. How? Don't repeat the question the same way. There's a, there's a statement that goes, if the same, que- the same brain that created the question cannot come up with the answer. Repeating the same question I don't understand, repeating it will help me. All right, I'm sorry. Being a bit tough over here. I, Let's go, gentle. Can you put a lot more words into that question? I have okay. a friend. Have who, a friend. It might be you, it might not be you, but I have a friend that's dependent because she doesn't have confidence to tell her kids no, how to bake how to speak publicly, how to go to shul, and she is best friends with a friend that also has a problem with going to shul or meeting someone or saying my opinion. Can you put in words like that? Let me lead, like, what type of question I mean to ask. So I have a friend that I'm in a deeply emotional relationship with, and we're kind of... No, uh, 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 I still need more words. Where is your weakness? And I am, finish the I. I don't feel comfortable sharing it on there. Okay, then I understand that. And you understand how I can't answer that question either. I'm saying I, I just want to respect you that it just makes it difficult. That's why I'm pushing you in that area. 
Mm-hmm. But it's just not fair unless anybody else sure. listening in. And I would like to respect you more. I'd like to encourage you not to share it because a lot of people listen to this. And yeah, therefore, yeah. I'd like to agree. So let me first apologize. I was very tough now. And I'm sorry for that. It's okay. Okay. So now, let's just understand that it's fantastic. I'm proud that you are aware of that. And if you could like, you could maybe speak to a life coach. This is something I don't think needs a therapist. Speak to a Rav or a Rebetzin that has experience, an emotional experience, but someone that you know is healed in that area that you have your issue, and just speak to them. But the issue is being dealt with as well. Say that again? I'm just neglecting it and trying to be in this relationship to, you know, just to support each other that we've both got the same issue and... Okay. Look, I I don't want to go more into it. So I respect you and I thank you for calling in, but really... I'm shooting blind, and I feel, you know, I I understand you, but I just don't want to give opinions and things like that. And Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank Thank you you for calling in and for holding so much. And again, I appreciate your forgiveness. Thank you. We are going to go to Shani on line one. Shani, you're on the air with Mordechai. Hello. Yes. Yeah. Hi. First of all, I'd like to thank you so much for your hotline. I feel like, like, since I started listening to it, I'm just, like, getting so much awareness and insight. Thank you and so much. Also, like I just want to tell you, it's like I had sometimes that I just feel like I have certain issues like coming up, and I just don't know how to deal with it. And at night, I listen to your hotline, and I'm like, "Hey, it's just what I wanted to hear." Like, yeah. like how do you know to address this issue today? And well, yeah, thank you. And that is one of the terms that I refer to the word as siyata deshmaya. Right. I thank the Rebbeinu for permitting me to be the channel that can create the awareness and help people. And it's amazing, the siyata deshmaya, that people would just respond to me, I was just going to ask you that question, and it just helped. Or you mentioned you gave an answer, and part of the answer was something completely not even part of that topic, and it helped me. And that's what I call siyata deshmaya, to have the Rebbein put words in my mouth that I'm not always aware of why I said that. And to have listeners call in just that day to hear that daily question, or people just listen, or people just turn on, tune on the radio, and all of a sudden hear just the part where they needed. And that is where I humbly, the Rabbi Shalom is teaching me at all times, I am so not in control and i got to work on my codependence to let go. And he continuously mm-hmm. reminds me of that as well. So I thank the Rabbi Shalom right. for that. Right. Okay, so my question is, I have a brother, he's turning 11 now, and he's in camp actually. And last year he also went to camp, and he loved every minute of it. Like, he came home, he did not stop talking about camp. This year he was very excited to go to camp. He was there for two weeks at first. He loved it. He didn't complain. After two weeks, he started calling home that he's homesick and he wants to come home. And, like, my mother said, like, it's going to pass, like, because he wasn't feeling well. But then, like, he kept on calling home every few minutes. He wants to come home. He wants to come home. He ended up staying for a few days, but then my mother decided to take him home for a week. So he came home, and my mother tried asking him, so, like, what's going on? So only he's just say he's plain homesick, and then he would say, like, yeah, his counselor he doesn't like, and the showers he doesn't like, so I tried talking to him, and also the same thing, he would tell me just about the showers and his counselor and everything, but then, like, I, 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 I was thinking there might be, like, the Kishore is another thing, it's just not, because last year he loved it, so I, I saw maybe something about to... his friends, and mm-hmm. I, I started asking him, like, something like this, like, in general, like, how it's going with this boy, that... He just didn't want to talk about it. He's just like, okay, we have to go. Like, like I, I was outside with him somewhere. Like, oh, we have to go home. Like, he didn't want to talk about it. Okay, so Shani. Then I tried bringing it up. Shani, like, I, let's hold on a yeah. second. Let me try to give you some information. Okay. What you've said has many sirens going off in my head. 
Okay. You've used certain keywords, shower, and a yeah. lot of it's not appropriate to discuss on air, but it is appropriate to tell you that my daughter is going to camp tomorrow, and the camp mm -hmm. has given us a paper of discussions that we need to discuss with our kids, and part of that is appropriate touch, not appropriate touch, and it needs to be discussed with the kids. Mm -hmm. Shower kids that are happy and all of a sudden they don't want to go. There's a difference if someone never liked camp and then they want to go to camp. And then, sorry, mm -hmm. never liked camp and therefore they never liked it and maybe right. the next year they'll like it. And if someone likes it and likes it and all of a sudden they don't like it, many mm -hmm. pranks happen, many things happen. Yeah. And understand almost never, very small percentage, that something mm -hmm. did not happen for a kid not to like camp all of a sudden. Now, if you didn't use a shower word, I would still tell you to send them to a therapist, which I'll get to in a minute. But find out, hold on, hold on, let me finish, clean. let yeah. me finish before we go into details. We'll have you finish. This is for awareness sure. only. This is not right. therapy. This is not diagnosis. But let's right. first create the awareness. Okay. When kids are not happy a second year, you want to find out mm -hmm. how do they get along with their counselor. Is the counselor, exactly. hold on, good. <laughs> we want to know how they get along with their counselor, A. We want to know how are they with friends. Maybe last summer they had friends. And now they lost some of their best friends. It might also happen that um, they don't like the food. Maybe they don't like their bed. Maybe there's an issue with the Rebbe there. As well as needs to be concerned, maybe something inappropriate happened. Appropriate touch, inappropriate touch can also be that maybe some kid is bullying him, making fun of him. Maybe he wasn't good at sports and there is a league going on in sports and then what they happen is they mix several bunks together, different age groups, and maybe there's a kid on his sports team which is making fun of him and that's why he doesn't like it. However, when you use the word shower, shower is one of, so a therapist, when you do an evaluation, you also keep in mind, does anything inappropriate happen? And when you use the word shower, you doubly are concerned what inappropriate might have happened. Now, one kid might have meant it as a joke, might have done something, might not have done something, might maybe nothing even happened. And I'm not going to go on air, little crazy stuff that sometimes, you know, a boy can tell another boy. Maybe they even shower with their bathing suits that in many camps they do for the younger kids. I'm not going into, but might have made fun of his nose or something or whatever it should be or his feet, doesn't matter what. But one thing I will tell you is kids do not turn shy all of a sudden. Kids that are outgoing do not close up. And if they do not share, if you don't take care of it, it can be very serious with years of detrimental effect and therapy needed later. All I will tell you is you've got all my warning signs turned on high, not just mm -hmm. low, not medium, but extra high. Mm -hmm. And I would insist that you call up Relief or any organization, ask right mm -hmm. away, share with them what happened with the kid, Get a therapist that can talk to the kids, and I'm not going to use the word on air because i that's just not my style to do that, but my warning mm -hmm. signs have come up, and ASAP means you hang up right now, you call them but, up right now, even if it says mm -hmm. it takes them a day or two to get back, you hound those phone lines. You call mm -hmm. them. You don't wait. Right, but the thing is, like, he, he basically, like, the reason why he's saying shower is just he's saying it's not clean. He, he, he like he's very particular with it. Yes, that might and, be the case, and that might not be the case. Right. I mean, I, I do see All something. I, with, I, I do have one. I, I do see something about his friends because, I, like, I, I did ask him again about his friends, and he's like, he's like, no, he doesn't. Have, like, first he didn't want to tell me he doesn't have friends. Like, yeah, I have friends, but then he was like saying, no, I don't have friends. Shani, but, all I will tell you is, mm -hmm. when you're trained, 
When you have experience, mm -hmm. you know how to read the signs. You right. know how to not ask the questions. You know how to say a statement. And you mm -hmm. look for body response. And all I am saying is, don't assume, please. Right. When people so, tell so me I went to a 50-year-old like, man with life like, experience, that's great. He didn't want that is great if you want to have life experience. This needs professional experience now. Shani, all I will tell you is, do the right step. Call up ASAP. And Merit Hashem, we should just hear it's nothing. Let's be an alarmist. Let's be an alarmist and have it nothing. But it might be friends. It might be nothing. And many, I don't want to just go into it. All I'm saying is my alarms were put up on high. Kid that liked camp, didn't like camp, could be a counselor issue, could be a friendship issue, could be more. If we don't know, you want an experienced therapist, not a beginner. I'm going to tell you now, do not take someone that's in social work school that's being trained. Absolutely not. Do not take someone that doesn't have at least five years experience and even more than that, someone has specialty with kids and as well as someone that might have a specialty how dealing with this issue in case this happened. I will say it very loud and very clear and we're going to go to another caller. I don't even want to hear anything else about this. The words you need to do now, hang up the phone, hound relief or call Echo. They are both excellent organizations with referrals. Call. Don't call once. Don't just leave a message. They are so backlogged with questions that it says it takes sometimes two days to get back to them. Hound them. It's important. Every day counts. Thank you. And And again, I thank the Rabbi Shalom for just being the person just to create the awareness. We are going to Shana. Shana on line six. You're on the air with Mordechai. Yeah, hi. Yes. Hello? Yes, you're on. Yeah, hi. Thanks for your show. My pleasure. And I really, really enjoy it. It's really amazing. Um, and it's interesting that a girl who called before, a girl with an eating disorder. Yes. It's interesting that I had a mess, not the same question, just like you gave me some piece of information that I want to ask you. So it's that's that, I'm like what you told the girl before. Beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. And we thank the Rabbi Nishla. We need to acknowledge it, not say it, actually feel it. Right. Let's oh, even yeah. stop a second. I'd like to thank everyone that is hosting this program. I'd first like to thank her of Nissen for seeing the amazing need for this. I'd like to thank Aaron for making this work out. I'd like to thank me for having the phone line, those listening that way. I'd like to thank FNW, who's hosting this live as well. I'd like to thank Yeshiva World, who's hosting this live. I'd like to thank the Lakewood School, who's hosting this live. I'd like to thank jrootradio.com, who's the main ones, and they are hosting this live. Oh, yeah. All of these people are seeing the need and the importance and are saying, let's host us. We need to get the awareness out there. And now that we've thanked them, can we thank the Master, Rabbi Nishleilam, who has given everyone the Siata Deshmaya this time and place to say, let's go ahead. This is what's needed. Let's create it. The Rabbi Nishleilam is giving it to us, the awareness, and we need to thank him for every step of the way. Okay, now let's go. Okay, so basically, um, I am now in therapy because I had, I can't say, um, I had, I can't say exactly what type of eating disorder I had. Like, it's kind of controversial. Like bulimia or a purging disorder. Or? Kind of either bulimia purging or? Disorder. Purging? purging? Yes, of purging course. Are, why, you of, mean there are people are starting to separate the two? Sorry? I thought that is bulimia. Bulimia is when you're eating and then you purge. For those right, to be aware of, there are different types of eating disorders. Let's just create a second the awareness. Anorexic, anorexia is someone that doesn't eat. Or they'll even purge, but you can see that they are, that they purge means that they will make themselves throw up the food, but usually they won't even eat, and they are very skinny, and you can tell it. 
um, oh, what do you call it? Um, bulimia is many times where people would eat, or they will go on, they will starve themselves for several days, and then they would start eating a lot. So you will not realize their body weight might be the same. Part of bulimia is that they will also purge, so you're not able to recognize that they have an eating disorder. However, they have an eating disorder. They're always thinking about food and how do I look, and they're always feeling ugly. So as far as I know, purging disorder is an eating disorder, but uh, is bulimia, but... Yeah, it's just, a, it's just a little different. You know, they don't really, like, a lot of bulimics are really, like, binge to, like, bump, like five pizzas at a time and, like, kind of empty the freezer. And if someone's a purging disorder, they kind of eat regular meals, and they don't, they purge, but they, they are underweight, but they're not, like, someone, someone that has anorexia, like, they're in the 80s, you know? Okay, okay. yes, thank you. Yeah, so that's, that's basically what I had in my experience. This, I'm not. I'm just saying here. Term. I'm not. I'm not sure. It's, this is what I believe because I. I wouldn't say I was bulimic because like people. Yeah, I was bulimic, but no, I was not bulimic. I. I had very similar symptoms, but not that. So basically, I in therapy. I didn't go for help then because people like I was skinny, but I wasn't like very skinny. So my parents not realized that I needed therapy, and I didn't want to say that I was doing it because that was my kind of control tactic, whatever I used then. So yes. I didn't want to control. I didn't want to. They should control my eating. You know, I'm kind of trying. To trying to control yes. that kind of whatever. So basically, I am a therapy now. And Say the last words again. I'm sorry? No, just the last but, words. Physically? Oh, you're in therapy well, now. You are in therapy yeah, now. Excellent. Right, I am in therapy. So I am First going of all, to, um, congratulations. That's letting go. Step one is letting go and going for therapy. Yes. Right. So basically, when I started going for therapy, I was not... I can say I had a little other, very like, um, like I guess I didn't have the best, the best self-esteem, and I didn't have the eating disorder anymore. I still have, I can't say I'm completely clean, but, you know, I wasn't, like, doing it on, on a daily basis. So I just went because I kind of, kind of, went, I kind of healed, and I kind of, after, like, a year of feeling good that I, getting out of it, I kind of relapsed in, in a different area. So I kind of started feeling very anxious, and um, so that's how I started going. Um, good, so let's clarify. What you've, by having your eating disorder, you went for therapy, also for other reasons, which got better, and that is what you're saying, you were anxious? I'm Do sorry, I'm sorry, um, I didn't say that, no. I was saying that while I was, while I had eating, I didn't go for therapy. After, you know, recovering for a year, just having, just doing it myself, not that I would, anywhere, like, I would never, like, tell people, with eating is not to go for That's therapy, right. but this, okay. this, this just happened to me. Um, I kind of felt healed, um, I kind of felt, and when I felt good about it, for a year, then I realized just in different types of problems. Like I, I still needed the control, and yes. and I, so but I didn't, I didn't go back, like for to the eating disorder. Okay. So basically, now I'm going to a very, like I know that you talk a lot about, um, you know, um, I'm not trying to hear, like to mod the, the cognitive behavioral therapist, just more talk a lot about going back, and, like going more into the past. Part and, of it. Um, yeah, right, right. Yeah. It's, 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 it's a, it's a no, because there's a lot of the subconscious therapy that's in the present, actually. Okay. And about future, and about creating a future anchor where the subconscious should have a goal, right. almost like a GPS. Right. So I just want to clarify, when people refer to subconscious, there is a concept out there where people just discuss subconscious means the past. No. Subconscious is present time inner feeling, means it's natural instinct that I am good, uh -oh. and it's also a present or a future time subconscious feeling. When you think about the future, instead of going, <gasps> How will I marry off kids? Who's ever going to want to marry me? We can. We also create a subconscious future anchor or 
harness where the brain goes, of course people are going to want to marry me. Of course at that time Hashem will send me this Yata Dishmaya, how I'll marry off the kids. So it's not just past. I just want to just clarify for our listeners. Subconscious is not just about past. Oh, I, I sure. Yeah, I okay, I know. Yeah. I've, I've never mentioned that, but I, you know, it's nice to see that what I have not mentioned yet. Right, okay. Sure. So basically, um, my question is, I am, I only went for five sessions already, so I can't say, I'm not sure if, I'm like thinking maybe it's not right for me, because I feel like the reason why I'm going now therapy Maybe I'm not aware of why and what I'm doing. Just like, I'm busy talking about my family, and like I have a very hard time forgiving certain people. So, just continue I'm, that. Just continue forgiving what? family. In order to forgive family, is the ultimate level of within yourself. Right. I'm saying I have a program on that on the phone line. It's called How to Go from Anger to Forgiveness, and the number one yesoid I have of it that I'll give away the secret is forgive yourself. If we cannot forgive ourselves for mistakes we make, we will not be able to forgive anyone else. So I would ask you, and don't share this on air, what mistakes have you done that you still don't forgive yourself for? And further, when I work with clients one-on-one, I take it a step further. I go, what Averis did you do that you don't forgive yourself for? And then we bring in a Rav as well. What's the tshuva? But so many of us can't let go. The Rabbani Shalom, we've long done the tshuva. The Rabbani Shalom has already forgiven us based on what the Rabbanim say. But we still beat ourselves up. And unfortunately, the worst part is we even do it in the Rabbani Shalom's name. That's actually program number 61. So for those that are listening, my phone line where I have this year is 718-298-2011. We have over there daily questions and answers. Also started again the daily motivational quote that I read daily. And um, But in section one is the shiurim in English, which I've got psychology with Makairis to, to make it tired because that's the way I work, to see that it's actually Yiddishkeit what we're saying. It's not just some theories out there. And that is program number 61, how to go from anger to forgiveness. Right. So I will tell so, you, continue going to that therapist and continue working on forgiveness of your family and maybe even make a oh. suggestion about forgiving yourself. What's the list that you don't forgive yourself for? So that's my question. Really, I tell you what, I feel like she's, like, really, she's focusing more on the here and now. I kind of, she only let me talk, kind of, only the first two sessions about tests. But whenever, mm-hmm. like, the other few sessions I had, I kind of, whenever I would say, like, so the reason why I'm feeling like that, I kind of, kind of triggered me, because blah, blah, blah. And I don't feel like I have a liberty to talk about my tests. And I kind of, like, I, I'm very much for, you know, I kind of lose a lot of the kind of brain, like, thinking, but I really still part of the therapy, not just I should have some, like, even though I'm aware of it, but I can't do it to myself, I feel like I need more of a healing, just... Okay. just Let me share with you some concepts about the subconscious, about how therapists work, and I'm a huge believer in dialogue and discussing with a therapist. So first, let me tell you a secret. Past, present, and future to the emotional world are all one. Means just like now, you can't move on because of the pain of the past. If you work on the same issues that mirrored now, so let's take as an example, as a kid, we always always love blaming our parents. Let's give a blame game. The parent never gave us the love that we wanted. You're going to find now that you're not giving yourself time. So some therapists time as in right. You're not giving as time as in as in as in um. You're busy helping everyone, but you didn't take an hour for yourself a day or a week. Oh, okay. So just like your mother didn't give you the attention then, today you're not giving yourself the attention. And in the future, you probably see what a stressful life. Now, there are three ways of dealing with it. Subconscious therapists would either deal with the present, future, or past. 
your therapist, by teaching you how to give yourself time now, will actually also heal the past. So what I would oh, like I you it. first to recognize is, let's let go of controlling, and sometimes the therapist can explain this to you. Now, I would also like you to realize that over here on the radio, I'm being such a gentle person with you, but with my clients, when I got 45 minutes, I can't explain all the theories. And right. I tell it to my clients, if I'm going to explain to you every single step why I'm doing, when I'm doing it, we won't actually get to do work. Right, right. But it is important, and sometimes I tell the client, but if you want, we can then spend the entire therapist and cognitive or an awareness, and the next session we'll do more of the inner work or the tools and cognitive, whatever is needed. I'm a big believer in all tools out there. So you might want to make a discussion with your therapist and first share with why it's important with you to get out the past. Maybe you've never discussed your past, and you might need seven sessions just talking about things. There might be secrets that you've never said, and that's right, so, so I'm important. I'm ready to do that, but I also... I need. I guess I need to like spend one session and just explain her why I feel like I do That's need. That's right. I do need the the yes. past. Like yes, the, yes. Go ahead. Take an entire session and discuss it with her, or him. Discuss it. Yes. Excellent. Okay. I agree. And let me tell you something. Bar Hashem, you've gone to therapy. I'm glad you did it when you're healthy. But let me tell you, continue doing it because that control is an underlying issue that when we can let go, life is such a place. It is so free with Siata Deshmaya at that time. Can I, can I just add one thing? I kind of felt like I was literally, I have to take the responsibility. It's, I don't, I, I, when girls hear that, let's say a girl spoke to me now and she had eating disorder and she heard that I did not go for therapy, even though she has bulimia or Persian, whatever it is. I, if you have an eating disorder, just go. Don't think, okay, so she healed with it. Just Say it again. Shane, I want you to say it stronger. If you have an eating disorder, do not think you could do it by me and get out of it like me without therapy. Because I'm in therapy right. now. You're going to have to go for therapy. Right. It's needed. Right. Say it. I, just go. Just, I feel like if, if you don't like take care of it then, you'll have to take care of way more like, bigger things in later life. And you can even get like physical symptoms. Like, things are not good. Saying, even though you can heal just it's not good if you're not for therapy. That's, that's right. And just what go. I would even add on is, don't just go for your eating disorder. Fine. Don't go for eating disorder. Walk through a therapist's door and say, I got an issue. I got eating issues, but I don't want to discuss that. Discuss other stuff, but go through that therapist. And I also feel like you're entitled to go. Something like, what would like you, you, suggest? Read, you, read, you read articles. Like, yes. What, what would you suggest? What would I'm you sorry? suggest we can do? to change in the school system and in the family system. What would have helped you had you heard that? You would have not thought about, hey, my weight issue. Or what would have helped so you then go for therapy? So I'm going to feel that our school needs, I'm, gonna say, I'm not trying to like kind of blame your school there, just I feel like just everyone, not just school, home, school, friends, everyone, um, just focus more on the person. Like, And if you see the child is going, has having self-esteem issue, just if, I'm saying that before you even realize that you have eating disorder. Self-esteem awareness. What you're saying is self-esteem awareness, correct? Yeah, and just kind of like don't look at the, so much at the academics and um, and um, all other things. Just just look at yes. the kid as you know as a at, like look at her, not at, you know. How Thank she's you. Doing so school. let's go ahead and just echo what you've just said for parents, for grandparents. For the school systems, for the principals, the teachers, because i got to tell you, it's a siyata dishmaya, but I've gotten back from many principals, many rebbeim. They are listening to this program. It's a schus. You've just had your voice, and Mertzeshem, I know at least one rebbe, one teacher will listen, at least one principal.
And what you are suggesting is, as someone in the system right now, don't just focus on academics. Focus on the person's self-esteem. Focus on the inner person. Recognize right. that someone has an issue. Let's recognize it first. Right. And now I'm going to add on the words. And when a teacher calls up a parent, please don't oh, yeah. say they're oh, done yeah. with That's a teacher important. next year so we don't have to listen to it. Listen right. and take action. Yeah. Relief has an entire staff member, means an entire person just for referrals for eating disorders. That's how bad it is. Let's wake up. One entire person means they pay someone a salary to answer our phone calls for eating disorders only. They have someone special for children, but I need us to recognize they have several people for adults. Let's understand it's an issue out there. We need to wake up. And yes, if us the parents, us the schools start focusing on the individual, I don't want to say because I always discuss that I have dreams and plans, but there's something very, very likely, Merit Hashem, in the next couple of months that will be able to change that for children. This program that I might want to put together for Bachar and for teenage girls that will be sort of like a three, four day program, which is about 20 hours like a workshop that I will, Mertz Hashem, lead and make it definitely cost-effective for family members to have for the kids. It'll be a different price for teenagers and for adults. But I'm so excited seeing that that's so possible to happen that will focus and people will walk out knowing their natures. I basically plan on, plan on taking like 10 of the most important programs that I have, knowing your natures, learning how to say no, how to build your self-esteem, build that with all yourself, take 10 of those and focus it in a workshop of five days over about 20 hours or 30 hours. And I want to make it cost-effective that we can have it for, for teenagers, for that parents can send their kids, and hopefully even eventually make it that cost-effective that, that the schools will be able to bring it in to the class, to every school. But let's first, I've got so many goals over here that ADD part of me is like, whoa, all over the charts. But it's, it's the way things are heading right now with Siata Deshmai, it's really looking very good. Wow, wow, very nice. Okay, so hopefully that will be one of the ways we will be able to help get that in there. All right, Shana, thank you for your... Thank you so much. Yes, I really, Have really appreciate it. We are going to go to... No, we, we've had on line three, I think we've... Aaron, I think we've done line three as well. Um, let's go to... Who is the next one? Yeah, all right, we're going to Shani on line one. Shani, you're on the air with Mordechai. Now, I think Shani was from before. I think both line two, line one and three, I think. Oh, sorry, it's Esther on line one. Esther. Sorry, we've got over here the numbers still uh, updating it. Esther, you're on Hello? the air with Mordechai, line one. Sorry. Yep, it's um, you. We hear your kid in the background, so if it's possible to... Um, yeah, we're good. Yeah, I know you held a long time, so I understand. Well, Sarah, so on line three over there, if we can remove um, um, the person I'm we spoke to. question. I'm calling from England. Thanks so much for your phone line. Thank you. Wow, really this is caller number four from England tonight, just, today. This, uh, the person that I spoke to you last um, mentioned about the share from about anger and forgiveness. I also listened to it lately, and I really was amazed. Yes, really, what did I mean, it help you? Can you clarify? You How did that, what did you I take out of that? In that position. Uh, let me ask you, what did you take out of that program from anger and forgiveness? A detail that I feel you can just share with the um, listeners or how it helped you. Just that whenever I'm, when I was angry, I listened to it and it really calmed me that, at that minute. So it made me forgive the person I was angry at. It made you. And is there a detail? What part of that helped you when you're angry at a person and you listen to it, you're able to forgive the person? What takeaway did you take from there? Um, I'm sorry I really for putting you on the spot. You can say now. pass. I always let people get the opportunity to say pass. But what did you say? Um... 
Can I ask my question first? Sure, okay. go right ahead. Okay, um, um, really, it's more of a marriage counselling question, but um, I don't think it's really so private, so I'm going to ask it. Um, I want to know if um, is jealousy common between um, spouses, um, between um, husband and wife, or is it more like competition? I'm sorry, I just got this. Yes, I just got this distracted a second. I'm going to read when we got the message. Someone was, I see my mistake, and I will apologize publicly for that as well. Um, about the Torah Karta that I said, so we're going to clarify that. But okay. But anyhow, let's go ahead. Um, your question was again about what was that? Just say it again. I'm sorry, I just got there, yeah, there just um, messages coming and things are happening here. Um, go ahead. Um, jealousy is common between spouses, between husbands and wives. Is it coming? Is it, is it funny? Is it is it normal? I will be so very blunt I'm, and tell I, you yes. My husband is, let's say, better than me, and I'm jealous of, of certain things that he yes. knows how to. Yes. You know, when, he's, when, when there's an argument or something, he knows what to answer. He's always yes, has the right thing to yes, yes. Jealousy is so normal in a spouse when we've got a spouse that can do something we struggle on. But can we now change the word jealousy? I have different interpretations. I'll explain to you what I mean. Certain words, just like therapists have certain words that mean different things, to me there are certain mm -hmm. keywords that mean different. Jealousy is a different touch by me, different meaning. Do you know what jealousy means by me? Mm -hmm. I have that strength within me, and I haven't been able to master it yet, so I am jealous of the person that has mastered it. And I am jealous of people, I can tell you. Yes, I am. Mm -hmm. I'm especially jealous of people that have peacefulness. I don't have a yeah. cell phone now since the day after Sukkot, not Pesach, and I still haven't mastered peace. <laughs> I'm still <laughs> going until 10, 11 at night. There's always another project. And the more I am stopping to do, somehow the Rebbein is always sending me something else, and I am jealous of people that can just have mm -hmm. a shear every night steady from 9 to 10. I have a neighbor. I see him leave his house at 8.30, get 15 minutes early to the shear, I see him come back at 10.15 or 10.30 after Meirev, and I am jealous that he can stick to that one shear, get there early, talk to friends, have a peaceful Meirev, and then come right back, and his schedule is a schedule. Mm. So that is something that I know that within me, I have the ability to have peacefulness, but I need to create it, and I still need to work more longer on it. So by the way, for those of you that might want to try the crazy thing that I did and drop a cell phone just for the information, it hasn't worked for me yet. <laughs> With the cell phone, it would have been a lot crazier, but just to be aware of that. So now let's go to you. We've got two minutes left, so I guess we'll just finish with this. I'd like you to realize, let's change the word jealousy to a strength that you have within yourself. Now, I'd like to clarify what I said, and thank you for saying that. When I mentioned about the Natura Karta, the Satma Rebbe was against it. He's saying as follows. Number one, to realize Natura Karta is davening as well for every from Yid, for every Yid, and they do not want anything bad to happen. I'm referring to the question that we got on the Lakewood Scoop where a lady says that her son is in the Israeli army and she's so worried and she's hurt when people attack the Israeli army like they're attacking her son. And what I clarified was that even that I have so many people, I've spoken to the top Satmar Dayanim, and I didn't clarify about Natura Karta, and I'm sorry. Of course Natura Karta are davening for every single Yid. And they just have a different Mahalach. We allow everyone to do their Mahalach, and that's their choices, how they're going to be Oyved Hashem. We've, I've already long-term stopped thinking only this way is right. But to clarify, Natura Karta as well is davening for your kids. 
Notorik Hart is hoping that your son comes home safe. Every Yid, whether he from, whether not from, is cared for by everyone, and they themselves are worried and troubled about what's happening in Eretz Yisrael for every single Yid there. So I'd like to apologize for what I've said, and that's right, it wasn't correct, and this is the correct, what I meant to say. And what I just meant to say is that not everyone holds of the other one's system, but about Klal Yisrael, we all feel together, and we are all Ba'achtas, and we are all saying Tehillim. I would like to, Aaron, just give me the amount of time that we got on air, so this way I know when to, 20 seconds. So I'd like to thank everyone. May we have a siyata deshmaya. May we still be zaycha to have the geula shalema before this tishabav. We should already have it with Mashiach Tzidkenu all here together. May all our children come home safely. May we have a successful summer, successful everything with a healthiness. Thank you all for calling in. Again, thank everyone for hosting this program. Huge siyata deshmaya, and I'm humbled and thank to do this. I mean, my grandfather's neshama have an aliyah and be a schos for Abzev and Rabbi Thank you all.